Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> you know, oftentimes I have all this um, stuff on my notes and um, that I type out uh, the way that you think maybe a, uh, an intro would go into a sermon, and, and, and for sure we're going to be in, in Mark chapter 1 today. Um, but there's things that happen in life sometimes that like throw you for a curve. And I got a phone call this morning that one of my dad's closest friends passed away this morning, uh, Grover Alvey up in Summit. If, if anybody's lived in the Addy area or definitely Summit Valley area, he's uh, been an iconic figure um, in that community. And definitely in my life, I was uh, thinking as I was, well, I talked to my sister called me about 7 o'clock this morning and my mom called me. Then actually Judy Hinches, uh, Grover's daughter, called me as well. But um, Grover's one of those guys that for me was, uh, there was a lot of firsts involved with him in my life growing up. And of course, um, uh, he and my dad were very close, and my mom, of course. And uh, we spent a lot of time at their house when we were kids. And uh, one of those first was, is, um, he was the first one to put me in front of him on a motorbike and take off down the road, and, and, and I, I remember this, I was maybe, what, six, maybe, I was pretty small, and uh, the look on my mom's face when we came roaring back in the driveway was priceless, <laughs> I mean, priceless, because he, he didn't put me on a motorbike to go putt around, you know, like we were on a little, you know, 50cc motorbike, no, we were on like a 250, and uh, we weren't going 250, but we were trying to, I think, and um, close enough. Uh, he's the first one to put me in a pickup and uh, go through the mud at high speed. There was a lot of things with Grover that were high speed, and uh, he lived life high speed, and of course, uh, today he's in glory with the Lord. Um, he, uh, he knew Jesus as a Savior, confessed that. And uh, so this is probably going to be a bit of a tough week, but uh, for just be reaching out that we be praying for that community for sure. Um, another first that I had, and this one's maybe a little on the morbid side, I don't know why it comes to my mind, but probably when I was about 17, 18, in the middle of the winter, he called me, he called me and my dad and he said, dad, are you guys busy tomorrow? He says, uh, and it was a Saturday, and he says, uh, I really need some help. And uh, Grover was a very independent person, so if he needed help, it must be something significant. And I could hear him and my dad talking on the phone, and I didn't hear the whole conversation, but uh, dad said, yeah, we'll be there, we'll help you. Well, I didn't know that the task was to go dig a grave in January in Summit Valley. And if anybody knows what that's like up there, it's rocky ground, it's super cold, and uh, I learned some valuable lessons as I helped him, as my dad and I helped him dig grave for an old timer. The, at the time, the, the guy that passed away was an old, uh, an old timer, a pioneer in the community. And uh, uh, Grover taught me this lesson, and 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 I'll just leave it at that. He taught me this lesson. He says everybody has a part to play, in being a blessing for somebody else. And he says this is our part. This is our part to be a blessing for an old timer who served this community and. And help make it what it was. And um, 
how do I get from there to where we're going to go? I have no idea other than maybe to speed up my cadence a little bit. And the, and the reason why is uh, we're we've now three weeks into the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we haven't even left chapter one. And uh, maybe the thought on your mind is how slow are we going to go through this passage? And uh, will we even get through it before Jesus returns? <laughs> it's probably a fair question because I haven't barely got to verse 12 and two sermons, but we are actually going to finish out chapter one today. The Gospel of Mark is a fast-paced account of Jesus' life. Forty times mentioned in the Gospel of Mark is the word immediately, and, and, and Mark uses that phrase to, to, to kind of just show like this is what's happening, then this is what happens immediately after that, and it's real fast-paced and, and, uh, and powerful. Last week we looked little review, just a few thoughts on review. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 1 verses 12 and 13, and then we really spent the bulk of our time in the gospel of Luke chapter 4, uh, and the topic there that's written in both accounts, where Mark is, Mark's account of this, this event was really condensed and went really brief, Luke and Matthew actually have a real long version of it, but what we were talking about is we were talking about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. One of the points from last week that I think is critical to remember is, is that prayer and fasting really is preparation for the testing. God uses prayer and fasting as a way for us to be prepared for what's coming down the road. Uh, make sure that you underscore that idea in your mind and uh, do the research in the Bible on how that goes down. But that's how it went down with Jesus. Then, of course, Luke records the three main temptations Jesus was tempted in the area of provision, he was tempted in the area of power, and he was tempted in the area of protection. And all temptation at some level is this idea. It's an offer to fulfill a legitimate need with illegitimate means. That's essentially what temptation is. It's, it's the enemy coming in with a, with a message or a question with an offer to fulfill some legitimate need that you and I have, but in an illegitimate way. That's what temptation is. That's where, when we fall to temptation, we fall into sin, the Word says. And Jesus was tempted, and therefore, because He was tempted, He can relate and identify with us in our temptations. That's a, that should be a great comfort to us. That there's nothing that we could face, we looked at, Hebrews 5, I believe it was. There's nothing that we could face that Jesus didn't already face. Not at the core of what's going on. Not at the core of the moment. Sure, we have different technological advances and all that, but, uh, but Jesus was tempted in these areas of provision, power, and protection. Today we see Mark uh, <clears throat> kind of take a shift, if you will, into... Jesus ministry. So open your Bibles if you have them or follow along on the screen, your cell phone. Uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 1 verses 14. I'm just going to go ahead and read a bit of it. Mark 1.14 says this, now after John was put in prison, speaking of John the Baptist, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. The, 
number one thing and the number one reason Jesus came was to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news. Now it starts off there in verse 14 where Mark says, and after John was put in prison, and I want you to just like put a little asterisk there and, and maybe a note if, you, if you're, if you're and it's, hey, you have my permission to write in your Bible if you want to, right? Even you kids, you can do that. But you can put a note in there, uh, Mark chapter 6, because we're going to just, we're just going to only mention it. Mark only mentions it. We're only going to mention it, but we're going to dive into what was going on in that storyline when we get to chapter 6. But Jesus came to Galilee, it says there in verse 14. Uh, Jesus spent most of his time in the region of Galilee, usually only going up to Jerusalem for the appointed feast. To give us kind of a, a geographical uh, idea of what's going on, Galilee was a large populated area to the north of, Ju- of Judea and Jerusalem where Jews and Gentiles lived together, though usually in their own kind of like distinct cities. So you had these pockets here and there, and, and a lot of Bible scholars kind of put that region as the crossroads of the world. That's kind of an old ancient terminology and line of thought. And the reason it's that way is, is because all of the north-south traffic and trade between like Europe and uh, that area and down south into Africa, they all went north and south. They all came through there. And then the east-west traffic was crossed in that region. And according to ancient Jewish historian uh, Josephus, Galilee was an area of about 60 by 30 miles, uh, 60 miles by 30 miles, and had some 204 villages with none of them less than 15,000 people. This means there was more than 3 million people in that region. And so you have these huge pockets, these different little communities. They're not so little. They're, you know, what's 15,000 people? Uh, a little smaller than Tri-Cities probably. Coeur d'Alene area. So you have a lot of those going on. And the emphasis that Jesus had then uh, was to bring the good news. That's what the gospel means. Bring the good news of God, verse 14 and 15. And Jesus was a, teacher, was a preacher that did miracle signs and wonders, not a miracle worker that occasionally preached. I can't emphasize this point alone. I, can't, I cannot emphasize it enough. Jesus was a preacher of the good news of God. He was a messenger that preached primarily, and he did signs and wonders. Not the other way around. A lot of people have it backwards, that Jesus primarily came to do signs and wonders and occasionally had something good to say. But that's not accurate theology. He was a preacher first. This is why he came. And there's a verse right here in this chapter that speaks to this very thing. Preacher first. And the good news had these components right from these verses 14 and 15. Had these five components. There was a component of the kingdom. There was a component of the right time. There was a component of closeness. There was a piece of turning and a piece of believing. And I want to go through each one of these kind of very deliberately in our time this morning because I think that it really forms and shapes our understanding of what Jesus Uh, whole purpose was all about. So let's look at the kingdom. What does the kingdom mean? You hear of a lot of the, 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 you know, the the kingdom this, the kingdom that. I want to make it really simple with this definition. The kingdom, as he says here, the kingdom of God, uh, the the kingdom of uh, 
the Lord, however your translation has it. But it simply means this, it's God's rule and reign on earth and in the lives of his followers. That's what the kingdom means. God's rule and reign, his sovereign control in the lives of his people. And so God's people then come underneath that as their primary uh, and really their only method of operation. So all of your decision making then gets filtered through kingdom principles. All of your, uh, uh, the way that you follow God is all a derivative and all filtered down through kingdom principles. What you believe, how you interact with other people, how you process what's going on, what our worldview is, is all an outflow then of God's rule and reign on earth in the lives of his followers. You see, what was going on there and actually what's going on here in our day is kind of the same thing because most people want a political kingdom that would replace the oppressive occupation of the Romans. That's what was going on in the first place, in the first century. And I think we can honestly say, a lot of us, we, hey, we would like that. Like, who would, not want, who would not want a more righteous and upright political system today? We all would. And we should be advocating for that. I'm not saying we shouldn't advocate for it. Absolutely, we should be advocating for that. Uh, and, and we should be promoting that. We should be promoting Christian values and biblical principles in our society. But they wanted a, this political kingdom primarily that would overthrow the Roman government in that first century. And contrary to the expectations of most people in that day, Jesus brought this type of thing. He brought a kingdom of love, not subjugation. He brought a kingdom of grace and not law. He brought a kingdom of humility instead of pride. He brought a kingdom for all men, not just the Jewish people. And he brought a kingdom to be received voluntarily. We, we receive God's kingdom voluntarily. He, God doesn't force his kingdom upon anybody. If you think of your own story of salvation, he didn't force his kingdom upon you. He didn't force himself upon you. The invitation was extended and then there was either, a, a, there was either an exception, a, a, you know, accepting of that or there was a rejecting of that. But however it works out, it's not forced. God wants, and God, what God is looking for is he's looking for the desired and, and, and free worship of his people, not the robotic force of the masses. So God's kingdom is to be received voluntarily then by man. It's not imposed by force, which all through human history, every kingdom that's out there has happened some which way by force. Even our own. Even our own uh, you know, constitutional republic and our, our own founding of our own nation was there was some force that was extended to free ourselves from tyranny. The next component there is the right time. If you look there in verse 15, it says the time is fulfilled. There's a right time to what Jesus was doing. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. There's two ancient Greek words here that can be translated time. Uh, one is chronos, which is where we get our word chronological. 
which means down through, you know, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and, you know, and today, and, and this afternoon, and then tomorrow, and the next day, and the next week, month, and on down through as time goes on. That's chronos, chronological time. But the other word there is keros, meaning the strategic opportunity or the decisive time. And Jesus uses this word here, the second word, when he says the time is fulfilled. He says that now is, and, and, and Mark records this, that when Jesus came, it was the perfect opportunity. It was the perfect, it was the, I, will, I like to use this word, it was the strategic time that God had in all of human history to send his son. The perfect time. It was the perfect time. Now is your time and your opportunity. Don't let it pass you by. There's a component of closeness. Closeness, where it says God is at hand. Jesus was empathetic to the people and understood that this was uh, real and relevant for them. And he wanted people to know that it was near. It was near. It wasn't some just ethereal thing that was out there that the kingdom of God now is on earth, but we got to run around and find it. And how far can we go to the north, the south, east, or the west? No, it says, quite frankly there, it says the kingdom of God is at hand. Or in other words, the old idea is there. It's as close as your hand. And, and I want to add this to it, that it's obtainable. If it's as close as your hand, that means it's in, within reaching distance, Right? And so it's, it's just right there, as close as your hand. It wasn't this distant or dreamy thing that had to be imagined. Now was the time for them to encounter the kingdom of God. Closeness. The next one is turning. There's a component to the, the kingdom of God that is turning. And, and the word that's there in the verse 15 is repent. That's what... Repent means, it means turning. And repenting is turning to this new direction. It's agreeing with God about my sin and trusting Him in a new direction. That no matter how hard I try, it's not enough. I can't pay for my sins. I can't pay God's bill on the things that I've done. No, Jesus has already paid that bill. And I can re agree about God in all of that and trust in his new direction for my life you can do the same although often uh, this idea of repenting is coupled with sorrow and that's not a bad thing um, sorrow is a feelings word where repentance is an actions word repentant means that we're, we're taking some deliberate action in, in what's going on we're taking some deliberate action on what we understand to now be true and it means that we just turn, we forsake one life, and we live a different life. That's an intentional word. It's not just about how we feel about it. Feelings will vacillate, they'll change. They'll be one way one day and one way the next. Repentance does not describe something. <clears throat> it, uh, it's, repentance does not describe something that we must do before we come to God. It describes what g coming to God is like. That's kind of an important part. There's a lot, of people that, a lot of people that are out there that I've talked to or a lot of people that you've talked to said, hey, you know, someday, someday I'll get right with God. Whatever that means to them, I'm not quite sure. But, you, but we've all had those conversations. You know, there will be a day that I'll, that, you know, and what they're saying is, is 
is if they understand anything about the Bible, they're saying, someday I'll repent of my sins. And then somehow from that, then they'll be right with God. Repentance is the turning. It is, it is exactly what I wrote. It describes what coming to God is like. It describes what, describes what coming to God is like. We come repentant. That's why I like to use the phrase uh, that it's not a one-time action, that we as Christ followers are to live a repentant lifestyle that demonstrates for the rest of our days, regardless of if you were a new believer yesterday, and so from yesterday to whenever, or if you've been a believer a long time, that we all should live a repentant lifestyle that demonstrates that we're different than who we used to be, that now we trust in Christ. It demonstrates that turning that was made towards Jesus. The last word there is believing. Believing when Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, he wanted people to know what it was like to live in that kingdom. He wants people to know what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. The kingdom Jesus preached was not just about moral renewal. Don't miss this part. There's a lot of movements in our history that was all about moral renewal, but it wasn't anything about believing fundamentally in who Jesus is. It's just about getting back to having a good society. The kingdom Jesus preached was not just about moral renewal. It was about trusting God and taking Him at His word and living a relationship dependent upon him. The ancient Greek word there that Jesus used for believe is pastuo, which means more than just knowledge or agreement in the mind. It's not just about what we think. It's not just about having mental consent to that, that the Bible is right. The word there, pastuo, means uh, that he uses uh, the ancient word for believe, and believe speaks of a relationship of trust and dependence. And that's what Jesus offered as he calls his followers and as he heals the sick. And let's dive right into that part. Point number two, we're rescued to be on the rescue team. Mark 1.16 says this, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen for a living, not just uh, recreational anglers this guys did it for real verse 17 then jesus said to them follow me and i will make you become fishers of men they immediately left their nets and followed him when he had gone a little farther from there he saw james the son of zebedee and john his brother who were also in the boat mending their nets and immediately he called them and they left their father zebedee in the boat with hired servants and they went after him they went after him hey these were common guys these were common guys at work. Uh, do, do, we, uh, do we have a real clear understanding, folks, of what this meant? It means that they, they forsook their occupation to follow Jesus. They were common men without theological credentials or status in the world. And Jesus met them as they labored as common men. Jesus chose these disciples not for who they were, but for what Jesus could do through them. And he does the same thing for all of us. He didn't choose you because somehow you were special. I'm sorry to pop a bubble if it happens. (laughs) 
He didn't choose me because I'm, somehow I had something going on. And he's like, man, I could really co-opt this guy into my plan. That wasn't the way it worked. The only thing that I brought to salvation was the sin, the sin side of it. Jesus did the rest. Jesus chooses people, not for who they were, but for what Jesus could do through them. We can't miss that. And he says to all of us, he said to these guys simply, to follow me, to follow me. If you wanted to define Christianity in two words, it would simply, it would simply be defined this, follow Jesus. That's what it means. You know, that's what it is. Without, with this invitation, he shows what Christianity really is all about. At its core, you know, hear me right on this, at its core, Christianity is not about systems, rules, or social movements. It's about following Jesus. At its core, Christianity is not about systems, rules, or social movements. We have a society that loves, 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 loves systems, rules, and social movements. And as a church, we have to be very careful that that's not where we kind of slide our thinking to. No. Fundamentally at the core, Christianity is simply just about following Jesus. What he says, we do. Where he says to go, we go. How he says to live, we live. What he says to believe, we believe. What he says to avoid, we avoid. How he says to work, how he says to raise your kids, how he says to treat your neighbor, how he says to worship, we do it. That's what following Jesus is all about. We just follow in that way. Are we, are we going to stub our toes? Are we going to struggle? Are we going to sin at times? Are we going to struggle? Are we going to struggle relationally? Absolutely. Is it going to be difficult? Yeah, it is. I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods. It ain't right. But fundamentally at the bottom of it, our call is to follow Jesus. Here's a little proof in that. Number three, Jesus broke all the social norms to rescue people. For the rest of the chapter, if you have that idea kind of as we read through this, you'll see that really pop out. Jesus broke all the social norms. He wasn't stressed about the systems of the day. If he was here today, he wouldn't be stressed about our systems. He wouldn't be stressed about our social movements that have gone over the last however many years or decades. No, Jesus broke all the social norms simply to bring a rescue to people that were hurting. Look there at verse 21. I'll read for a while. And we'll go back and look at it. We'll actually read to the rest of the chapter. So 21 through 45 says this. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now there was a man in, the, <clears throat> in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed, he cried out with a loud voice, and he came out of him. And they were all amazed 
so that they question among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even unclean spirits that they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Verse 29, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once. And so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. And she served him. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought him and all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew, because they knew him. Now in the morning, you want to talk about a busy day of ministry. This is a busy day of ministry. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, and they, sa- they said to him, I love this, uh, hey, everybody's looking for you, you think? But he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Back to the earlier point. And he, and he was preaching in their synagogue throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, I'm in verse 40, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread this matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Wow. Uh, actually, uh, so <clears throat> I've mentioned this in, in weeks past. So we have a, like a whole family group that's been uh, reading chronologically through the Bible. And, and we've gone through this portion already in our chronological read. And uh, with the wonder of technology, we actually have this group, uh, what do you call it, group text, where we can leave messages for one another and we can have a group discussion. That's what it is. All on our cell phones. Heaven forbid our cell phones all crash. But um, this question came up as to why, why Jesus repeatedly said not to say anything. Um, I had a bit of a response. I'm going to hold that response. I'm still kind of processing through that because uh, you would think any good thing would be something that would be worth climbing on top of the mountain and you know, getting a megaphone and saying, hey, guess what? We, we would all do just what this guy did, right? Not say anything. I'm not going to not say anything. I'm going to say everything. Jesus had his reasons for why he didn't want it uh, to be broadcast. I'll just leave it at that. But there's, back to the main point, there's six norms really here that Jesus broke to rescue the sick and oppressed. 
And interestingly enough, the first one's not a miracle. The first one we see back in verse 21, if you scan with your finger back to verse 21, you'll see this. When he came into the synagogue, it says immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And the result was, in verse 22, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority. Not like the scribes. The scribes were the one that had all of the authority of the system of the day. They were the ones in authority, yet Jesus shows up and he preaches and he teaches and he talks to people because he had real authority. He had real authority. He totally broke a norm of that day. He spoke with authority. The Gospel of Mark opens with the idea of the submitted Jesus. He was submitted, and we've covered these in the last two sermons, but he submitted to his father in baptism. He was submitted to the Holy Spirit in going out to the wilderness. But now here, by the time we get to chapter 2, we see the authority of Jesus in play. The authority of Jesus in play. A common misconception in our culture, but one that we definitely need to get a our arms around is the idea that authority flows from submission. True authority flows from being submitted to God the Father. I've said many times, if you want to be a good leader, I've shared this with your high schoolers, I've shared this with the junior high kids, if you want to be a good leader someday, you learn to be a good follower first. Joshua is a prime example of someone who was a great follower that then God elevated as the leader of the nation of Israel. Joshua did amazing things, never took his eye off the ball, never took his eye off of God's plan, buries it right down to the last moment, says, hey, you guys choose who you want to serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's his big statement. Authority flows out of submission, and we aren't given real authority from God unless we're also submitted to him. Let's not miss that point. Jesus here now begins to preach and teach and do miracles with authority because he's been submitted to the Father. And here's Jesus' authority at work in Mark chapter 1. The second point is is that he cast out and silenced demons on the Sabbath, breaking a social norm of that day in Israel. He wasn't afraid to do what was right, he didn't cower away from, from uh, what was expected there in society. There was people that were needy, and he met that need, regardless of what day it was. Not only did he do the miraculous when it came to the demonic realm, he did the common as well. He healed a common fever. See, the, <clears throat> by contrast to many today, Jesus didn't perform to the crowds. He wasn't doing this to get a big following. I, I hope you guys clearly saw that in the text. He, he didn't do what he did to perform to the crowds. If he did, he wouldn't have healed mother, Peter's mother-in-law. But he ministered not only publicly, but he also ministered to one person in a private home. And he didn't need the power of the crowd dynamics to help his ministry. A lot of what we see going on, and a lot of, frankly, a lot of what's turned a lot of people away from Christianity is exactly what I've described here. 
It's the idea that there's those that are out there with this ministry and that ministry. Hey, I believe God heals. We've seen it. We've seen it in our own family. We've seen it in many of your situations, for sure. But those things happened. (laughs) Those things happened to glorify God, not to pump up and get some big crowd for the next weekend. He didn't need, Jesus didn't need the power of crowd, crowd dynamics to help his ministry. He healed a common fever. He also healed a variety of sicknesses, verse 34. He healed a variety of sicknesses, the Bible says there in verse 34. Many who were sick with various diseases cast out demons. He did not allow the demons to speak, so on and so forth, verse 34 says. And he stayed true to the preaching of the gospel despite growing popularity, verse 37 and 38. The miracles that Jesus performed were not the main ministry. It was not the star attraction. Now, I'm going to say this from looking at the Bible and reading the Bible from our perspective. I'll also say that in that first century, in that day, I'm sure they were the star attraction. In other words, that's why the crowd's built. That's why it it wasn't just that he, hey, did you hear the guy that spoke in Capernaum in the synagogue? Man, he was really something. You know, three points and we were out by noon and everybody was watching football. Right? It wasn't that. But I think from his perspective and from the apostles' perspective, the, mini- the miracles were not the main ministry. This is what they were and this is what they are biblically. They're the supporting evidence that he's a Messiah. That's what miracles are. That's what the signs and wonders are. It's, it's not that, we, and that's why I say, we get a little queasy in church today about miracles and a little unsure and, and where do we go and how do we look at them and how do we process it all and is it real, is it fake, is it this, is it that? We should see them simply as this, that miracles, signs, and wonders are the supporting evidence even today as they were in this day that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what they are. Are they more than that? You know, in a sense that they're a blessing, that somebody got healed from cancer or somebody got, you know, whatever? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the blessing of a, minute, of a miracle that God does should propel us in the same way that it propelled Christians in the first century. It should propel us deeper and deeper into a relationship with him and to be part of the rescue team that I mentioned earlier. They were that supporting evidence. The last one was is that he was moved with compassion at the faith of a leper, and he healed him. The leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying, I'm in verse 40, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Man, what faith is that? That's it. That's, that, that just blows my mind. I've read it a dozen times. It still blows my mind. I stand here and write, read it before you guys. This guy came up. He had some understanding. We don't know what it was. He had some idea. He, he got something somewhere that just simply said, Man, I believe. I believe that this, is, this guy is, can do what nobody else can do. And so he goes up and he just simply says, if you are willing. Can you imagine being in Jesus' shoes and somebody coming and saying, I can't even imagine this either. Somebody saying, if you are willing. Like, what would you not do if you could do something for somebody? 
What would you not do if you could do something for somebody? See, folks, we get, we get paralyzed oftentimes in the church especially because we figure, we have, we have this mentality. If I can't do a little something for everybody, then I'm not going to do anything for anybody because what? It's unfair. That's bad thinking. That's really bad thinking. No, the, the, the idea we should have in our minds is we should, we should desire to do for one that we really wish we could do for everybody, but that we just do it for one person. If I could just be a blessing to one person, that's what God's called me to do. That's what God's called you to do. Just be a blessing to one person. Don't be paralyzed with this, you know, uh, bad idea of fairness. Nothing's been fair since the Garden of Eden. We've got to get over it. It's been how many thousands of years? Right? We get stuck on this thing that it has to all be fair. Nothing's fair. Be a blessing to somebody in the moment. Jesus was a blessing to this guy in the moment. In fact, Mark really hones in on this idea. That Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. You want to talk about breaking a, a social norm? That's a no, that is a no-go. That's like, uh, <clears throat> can I joke a little bit about our COVID baloney? You guys good with that? Nobody get offended? That is like a million times worse than pulling your mask down while you're waiting to get on an airplane. Is reaching out your hand in the first century and touching a leper. Because that meant that you were going to get the disease that nobody had an answer for. That meant that you were putting yourself in harm, or in the Jewish vernacular, you were unclean. You were unclean. You were now a social plague. And Jesus just steps right through. He just reaches right through all of that facade of that day. And he says, hey, I got you. I got you. Be cleansed. He was moved with compassion. He saw that not only was this guy locked up with a disease, but he was locked down socially. He was handcuffed socially. If, if you were a leper in the first century, you had to keep, you know, talking about social distancing, it was your job to social distance if you had leprosy. So you, you were out on the streets all day, unclean, unclean, don't come any closer, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine how embarrassing that is? Could you imagine how just emotionally devastating it is to be that person? That you have to be the one to constantly proclaim your issue, constantly proclaim to all of the people in your town that you're the one with the issue, you're the one that, that, that is a social plague. See, Jesus not only healed him, bringing physical relief to a disease, but Jesus steps in and brings emotional healing and social healing. And he breaks through all of this social you know, uh, uh, dogma and the social norms of this day and sets this guy free. Now, he's not the only one he set free. This, a lot of the same dynamics were true if you had a, if you had a, a, a demon that we've talked about, and, and, and I mean, we could go on for, forever about that, and we're not going to. But the reality is the same things were true. These, these people were a social plague. These people were to be avoided. 
These people were to be kind of locked up or penned up or were in certain areas. And Jesus steps in and he says, hey, <laughs> you're out, you're free, you know, you're cleansed, you're free of a fever, Peter's mother-in-law, we don't know her name, you're free of a common fever. He wasn't building a big following. He didn't need a big following in that sense. He was simply being a blessing to the next person. And you and I are called to, in that same way, be just a blessing to the next person. Is it, is it all about you and I, you know, searching out, running around, looking for somebody that's, you know, demonically oppressed or whatever? No, I'm not saying that. Our job is to be a blessing where we can be a blessing. If those things happen, if those situations happen, then they happen. But a lot of times we're all... <laughs> We're kind of like Cal Raleigh yesterday, looking for a home run when we need a base hit when it comes to being a blessing to people. Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why he came. That's what his purpose was. That's what his message was. That's what he lived for. He lived to preach the goodness of God to a people that were missing it. That should be our passion. That is our passion as Christ followers. Just bring the good, a good message, a word of encouragement to people that need one. And Jesus came to rescue us and place us on his rescue team. I'm, I'm kind of, um, I will admit, I probably have a little bit of a burr under my saddle in a particular area, and that is, is that people that have been believers but don't see themselves useful in God's kingdom uh, that's a frustration to me personally and 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 a lot of times in, in in Christianity you have like two ends of the spectrum somebody that, that that is that is saved but still kind of mopes around like Eeyore doesn't think they're any good for anything that they can't be a blessing to anybody that they have no ministry no you know no qualifications to say anything and 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 they just they're just kind of like maybe saved but depressed. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have people that are saved but, and have just this monster ego that it's all about them and all about their ministry. And, all, you know. and, so, and, and we're called to be in the middle. I guess I want to say it this way. We're called to be in the middle. Not to have some monster pride and ego issue because God has saved you, but not to be Eeyore either. We come into the middle and we follow Jesus. He's asked us, uh, to, hey, follow me. He throws that invitation out for all of us. And when we understand how bad our sin is and what that entails and how that is an offense to God, but then we also couple that with the fact that Jesus is the only one that has brought an actual answer to, to the sin issue of all of humanity and pays for our sin on the cross and died for our sin, and was resurrected the third day, that's when we start to understand, hey, I've been rescued, but I've been rescued with a purpose. And here's what that purpose is, is that God has purposed in rescuing you and rescuing me that we would be part of his rescue team for humanity. And that rescue team, is, it takes on many facets. It takes on, and some, some people, hey, you look at the board back here, you've heard him speak, some people are out there rescuing like Blake and Sammy are out rescuing, you know, in Burma. That takes some skill set and that takes some, 
some very specific, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but Blake's got scales, let's put it that way. But sometimes that rescue is this way. It's just being a good neighbor. It's just being a good friend. It's just being there to share an encouraging word. It's being there to help somebody out. It's being uh, a person that says, hey, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a theologian, but I know a little bit about the Bible. Let's study it together. It's kind of like what, uh, what was shared there during announcements. And Katie come up and said, hey, we, we need to be, you know, women in the Bible. We need to be learning and studying and, and working this thing out together. So we're rescued. And we're rescued with a purpose that would be on his rescue team. And then we have to be really careful that, and, and comfortable uh, that Jesus, in the process, broke all the social norms so that people would be free. You know, uh, we have a, a big misconception that Jesus was, you know, kind of this mid-60s hippie with flowing hair and sandals and a long robe, you know, and he was, you know, against the man or whatever, whatever the, you know, idea that comes to mind that he, that he was just, a, you know, a, a, a troublemaker or whatever, that he was a, a rebellious at heart. That's not it at all. I'd actually propose to all of us that he was exactly the opposite. Socially, did he do things against the social norm? Absolutely. And was there a sense that he was in trouble for that? Yeah, absolutely. But you know who he didn't go against? <laughs> he didn't go against the Father's will, which is the most important thing. So sometimes we stand outside of the social norm. We have to be comfortable there, most of the time. And in fact, the way that our society is going, it's probably going to be more and more, all the time. That's okay. That's not a point for us to be prideful of that. It's just, it should be a point that we should come to uh, uh, dependency because we're there. But he broke these social norms with the purpose that people would be set free. That you and I could live in freedom. And that's not all about raising the red, white, and blue. It's free from sin. The freedom that Jesus brought was freedom from sin. And we're going to get into that next week. And so you can just like, you know, to be continued on that thought. I won't go deeper into it. But that's exactly where he goes. He brought freedom to people. Let's draw a couple of uh, points of application as the worship team comes on up. I have a few questions. I was encouraged to uh, write a few questions towards the end of it. Um, I'd be the first to say that I'm not a professional at preaching by any means. In fact, oftentimes I'm probably harder on myself in this regard than, than any of you seem to be on me, which is fine. Thanks for not flooding me with uh, criticism. <laughs> um, and here's why I say that. I, I feel like oftentimes my sermons don't really end well. It's kind of like, and I was joking with Jonathan last night. I was kind of like, yep, that's all God had for me. Let's close and let's worship and pray. We're done. You know, and, and I don't want to be that quite abrupt. But, so I wrote down a couple questions to kind of, and another verse to look at to uh, kind of stimulate some thought and discussion through the course of the week. So the question was that was posed to me is how do we, by way of encouragement, was how do we draw some application from what we've covered? We've covered a lot of verses and uh, a lot going on and, 
and a busy, <laughs> a busy ministry schedule for Jesus, you know, right here in chapter one of the Gospel of Mark. How do we draw some, some application? How do we respond? One of the things is, that I would like to say is how do we respond to the Gospel? First point of application, because none of the rest of it matters if you haven't responded to the Gospel of who Jesus is. All the rest of it is just like a system of belief if you're not a Christ follower. So the first point of application is, is how, do, how do we respond to the fact that Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God? How do we respond? The second one is, how do we take the next step in our journey of faith in Jesus then? If you are a new believer, uh, if you're an old believer that strayed away from the faith and, and recently have kind of reconnected, how do we take the next step in the journey of faith? Regardless of where we are, we as a church, and we definitely as your church leaders, we want to help you take that next step in your journey of faith in Jesus. It's, I, I purposely put that in there. It's not just a journey, you know. It's just not a spiritual journey. because I mean, hey, that can go anywhere in our society. Very specifically, we want to talk about our journey of faith in Christ. And I want to encourage us as we go the way that the Apostle Peter did those that he was writing to. And, and I mentioned in <clears throat> two weeks ago that the Gospel of Mark is Peter's account of what happened in Jesus' ministry. So it's really Peter's Gospel, written down by John Mark, his protege. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says this, in regard to some application. I think it's a good one to take with us and apply to what we've read today. He says this, he says in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And that word there, sanctify, simply just means set apart. Set apart. So how do, how do we apply what we've heard today? How do we apply what we've read today about Jesus kicking off this ministry? Two really, really busy days of ministry with all that he had to do. How do we apply that? We apply it this way. We set Jesus uh, uh, apart from all the rest of our, uh, what's going on in our lives. We set him number one. He, if he's not first, he's not anything in our lives. Hey, he didn't come to earth to just be a part of your party. Right? That's not the way it works. Jesus came that he would bring rescue and that because he's the Messiah. Therefore, we sanctify him or we set him apart in our hearts. He's the first in every situation for all of life. That's how we process setting Jesus apart. That's how we sanctify him because it's in every situation in all of life. It's what's going to happen later today for you. It's what's going to happen tomorrow at work. It's what's going to happen tomorrow this week at school. Right? It's going to happen in business. It's going to happen in the family. It's going to happen in every part of it. Are we sanctifying and setting Jesus apart and making him first in every situation for all of our lives? When we do that, when we sanctify Jesus in our hearts, we prepare ourselves then in the area of sharing Jesus as the answer for everything in life. That's what sanctifying does. It prepares us. We're prepared day by day. Uh, day by day. And when we sanctify Jesus in our hearts, then we also have this desire as we want to share 
the hope that we have in Jesus. That's what Peter's talking about. Be ready. Give a defense. Uh, not just to be defensive about Christianity as a system, as a theological idea or, or, or set of rules. That's not it. What he's saying is, is are we ready to, to talk about with people that may disagree with us about the core issue, and that's the hope that we have in Christ? Because here's why he says that. Because genuinely, people really want to know. They might not know how to ask the question. They might not know how to start a conversation. They might, they might really be opposed because they had a, a really bad experience as a kid in church or, or you know, in a real authoritarian system of belief and, and that scarred them and hurt them and wounded them in some way. We have to be sensitive to that. But really, they want to know. And you want to know what they want to know? They want to know why you're different. They want to know why you're different than the other person. They want to know why you have a hope in something. When everybody else around us, their hope seems to be going down the tube. Seems to be going in the wrong direction. Or the hope that they've put put into mankind or one political side or the other keeps failing them. Why is your hope as a Christian different? And are you ready to talk about it? Be ready to talk about it. Prepare yourselves. Sanctify Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Set Him apart. We put Jesus first. We prepare ourselves to not only talk about Him, we prepare ourselves to worship Him. So let's turn and do that.